0: Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to DCF. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. We are going to jump right in. And um, this morning during our prayer time, there was just such an emphasis of the Lord's history and who he has been for us and his faithfulness. And so as we worship this morning will you just call to mind His goodness, His kindness, His faithfulness, the things that He's brought you through? Can I tell you the sheer fact that you're in this room today is evidence that He's brought you through some stuff. Can you say amen to that? Um, But it's His faithfulness to us. And I love that the Bible says all of His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So this morning, We are gonna stand, we're gonna worship, we are gonna love on this beautiful King Jesus because he's so worthy. Um, and just to share a little bit, yesterday I was just kind of going through literally almost 40 years of just papers and stuff and everything. And this is why it became such a reality for me, is because I began to look over the history of me and David, and we got married one month within our one-year anniversary. And The faithfulness of the Lord in our lives overwhelmed me when I looked at some of the stuff and the things that we've walked through and the faithfulness of the Lord in our lives. And um, this morning, that's who he is for you. He loves you. He has invested in you and your future. He's been a part of your past. He's in your history. And so this morning, will you stand as we worship and we love on Jesus because he's so worthy of Holy Spirit, we just come right now. Lord, we thank you that your word says that Holy Spirit, you make God's fatherhood real to us. Not that he's distant and far away, God, but he's near. So Lord, would you just make us aware of his fatherhood, that he delights in his sons and daughters, and he loves us so deeply this morning. Would you just let your presence Your peace, your goodness, your glory be with us, Lord. Our hearts and our affections are turned fully towards you this morning to embrace and to engage and to see you, Lord, face to face with no distance, no veil, nothing separating us, Lord, from your love and your kindness. Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I Yeah. that they're yes and they're amen for this house, for you, for this church, for your family, and we're already loved. So I want to take a second on this part of this song and just let that really sink in for me. John
0: Father, we just celebrate this morning, God, that you are enough. You are more than enough. Jesus, your blood was way more than enough to please the Father. It was a pleasing sacrifice that we don't have to pay our own debt, Lord. It's been paid for us because of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we our sons and daughters, that we are yours, Lord, that you love us deeply, you've chosen us, Lord, let us be defined by who you say we are, Lord, more than anything or anyone else, Lord, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen, amen, we're so glad that you're joining us this morning, we're glad that you're with us, if you're watching online, a very warm welcome to you guys, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, go to our uh, dothancf.com, connect on the um, new here, and we would love to connect with you, hear a little bit about your story, how it fits in with our story, and just merging together. And um, on the 28th of April, I love that we um, partner and we are connected to other life-giving churches in our city. And All Nations Family Worship Center, Pastor Stanley and Erica Harris, They are going to be doing their sisterhood conference. It's Level Up, and I'm excited because our um, Lori here in this house, Lori is going to be sharing as well. So um, you want to go ahead and you can register. All the details are on our website. And um, so it's Friday and Saturday. They've got swag bags. They've got like a, a dinner and brunch kind of in the morning for continental breakfast. So if you're moms and you're working, you can just leave work and come straight over. You don't even have to go home. Dads can take care of the kids. You know, so, um, or get a friend to help take care of the kids, and y'all swap out, so with families. Um, be Still Dothan is going to be on May the ninth. That is also another ministry. I love uh, what is happening in our city with them. They are, a, it was a couple of ladies that started this in Atlanta, and they are connected to our church as well, Northlands, and very much founded in the gospel of grace and the testimonies of what God's doing in our city through many local churches, not just one church, but through many local churches. And if you would like to know a little bit more about how to shoot, how to be prepared, uh, we're going to be having Range Day on um, May the 6th, 6th. Sorry, I thought it was six May the 6th. And um, you can register and sign up for that. Um, so if you'd like to, like to get more skilled, um, we'll, we'll have that available for you. And then generosity, y'all, I love the generosity of this house. It does lean into the transformation of people's lives. So the reason why we have a building, the reason why you can come and worship and you can hear messages that are life-transforming is because of the generosity. And so we love being connected to other things outside of our city with like Fostering Hope and Wiregrass Hope and just what is happening in our local area as well. What we're excited about is how when we go forward, how we will be used, used in actually connecting into In the nations, we actually, for some of you that are kind of new with us, you may not know this, but we actually connect and we support um, Milan and Violetta, who are actually in Sarajevo, Bosnia, and they've been connected to this house really since the about the mid '90s, late '90s, and so. um, But we love them. They're a family that's very special to us, and so uh, we're just thankful for your generosity. So our kids are going to be dismissed. They are going with us, with me and Miss Sarah, this morning, and we are going to have a great time. And then Pastor Dave's going to come back with his message,
2: so. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're still awake. <laughs> I'll say that halfway through my sermon, too, just to make sure that you're not taking a nap near my message. I actually had that happen one time I was preaching in uh, England, and there was a as a guy, he he was a little bit older, and uh, I, I surprised him. He was, like, literally snoring in the services <laughs> on a Sunday morning. <laughs> And I was preaching, and I got passionate and said something really loud, and he, he literally jumped to his feet and said, amen. I'm like, boy, you, you have no idea what I just said, but hopefully it, it turned out well. So don't fall asleep on me. Um, <clears throat> I don't, anybody notice my wife's shoes? I, they're super subtle. I, my, some of you guys are thinking that Karen dresses like that because she's going to do children's church. I assure you that is not the case. <laughs> we, we were in Atlanta. Last time we were in Atlanta, she bought some shoes, and, and they were like, I don't know if you've seen them. She's worn them before. They, they were like shiny, like, like like really, really, really shiny. Like um, they weren't red, but they were really shiny. And every little girl in this entire church just gushed all over Karen. She's like, those shoes are so amazing. And so I asked her. I'm like, did you buy those for kids' church? She's like, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she is who she is, and I love her to death. All right, so we're going to jump back into a series we've been doing called This is Love. And so, uh, but before I do that, I just want a, a quick reminder over the next month or so, about three or four weeks, we're going to start talking about membership at DCF. And so, if you're new here, that's going to be awesome for you because you're going to get an opportunity to find out a little bit about who we are, what we do, why we do it, our vision, our passion, the way we do leadership. Our mission, all those things that are you know potentially interesting, maybe not, but uh, we're going to talk about membership and, and the big part of it is um, is not so much that you know we're going to make you sign on the dotted line. Everything we do is relational. So in many ways, people have been members of DCF forever. We just haven't really made it official, right? So it, it was in the past, a long time ago, and then again, we since Karen and I came here about thirteen years ago, we haven't really made membership official. And part of the reason why is we wanted to build membership on relationship. Before membership, we talk about uh, one of our values at DCF. It's called friendship before function. And so if you call me Pastor Dave and you're a plumber, I'm going to call you Plumber John because <laughs> you, if you've been here a while, you know that's true because pastor is a function I have. It's not necessarily my title. And, and even if it was... I would rather you know me as David or Dave. I would rather you know me as a friend and then recognize my function. It's good to recognize competency. All those things are wonderful things, um helpful, but if you if you don't know me as a friend first, then we're building a relationship with this whole mindset of clergy and and laity or you know, it's it just gets weird and and I'm weird enough. I don't, <laughs> I don't need any more weirdness in my life. And so I just, we just made a decision a long, long time ago that we would have friendship before function. We're still gonna have function. And so when we talk about membership, if you've been here for a long time and you're like, you know what? I think I'm already a member you are, you probably are, maybe you aren't, I don't know, but more than likely you are. What we're going to really talk about is, is the expectation that you can have on us as leaders. So a lot of that is, you know, if in order for you to become part of our family as a local church, whether it's our local church or any local church in the city, we challenge you to become part of a family, part of a tribe, part of a, of a group of people that you can be on mission with as a family. We talk about it at our church, Karen and I are a family that's on mission. That's who we are and what we do. And so together, we're a family of families on mission. So your family should be on mission. Your family should be on mission. But if we do this well together, what we, what we discover is we're part of God's family. That's the whole big picture. And that all of us, all the local churches in our city that are life-giving churches, are on mission for the Lord. So the one requirement, if you want to be a member at DCF, Is you have to be saved. You have to be a Christian. You have to have believed in Christ. You have to be in Christ. We'll talk about what all that means. So if you're unsure about where you are or where you stand with the Lord, we can we're going to be talking about that. We'll talk about that some today as well. But as we move forward, what we want to do is say, hey, what can you expect of us as leaders? What's our role? What's our job? What is it that we do? And then flip that around and say, Hey, what's what's our expectation of you as being part of this family? If we say, if you say, hey, I'm all in, I'm signing up, you know, count me in, coach. If you say that, what are you counting yourself into? And we want to be really clear about what that is, especially as we move forward and especially as we grow. We want to make sure that we do this well. And a lot of that is just communicating vision, direction, and, again, making sure that you know what you've signed up for. So uh, we'll be teaching into that over the next couple of weeks. Um, it'll be interesting. Some of you guys are like, membership class? You're going to teach that on Sunday morning? I promise you it'll be interesting. It'll yeah, it'll be interesting. So I'm going to jump back in and, uh, and start out the series. We've been talking about the resurrection and what the resurrection means. Uh, we talked about how the re- resurrection changed everything. Obviously, last Sunday was Easter. And uh, Paul talked about this often. He said, um, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we of all people as Christians are the most to be pitied. Now think about that for a second. So one of the greatest leaders of the church said, if, if this isn't true, we're in trouble, (laughs) and the whole world's to look at us and go, oh, that's, that's not good, right? And so, but if it is true, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then that very fact, that truth has literally changed everything for all time. It's a pretty big stinking deal, right? So we know that that's true because Jesus didn't stay in the grave because he got up from the grave. We know that Easter is about freeing us from sin. It's about overcoming death. It's about setting things right and making everything new. And that's really what I wanna talk about today is about how this love is the love that makes all things new. This is the kind of love that it is. So what does it mean for God to make all things new? So when I was a kid, a uh, little boy, my dad uh, was a landscaper, and oftentimes he would drive these big uh, dump trucks home with him because uh, he had to go to a job early uh, the next morning. And so uh, I love trucks, still do. I actually just got a truck. As a matter of fact, I just bought a truck, and I, f- I came alive again when I bought a truck. I don't know what it is about guys and trucks in the South, but I'm like, yes, I'm a man again. It's so exciting. I've been, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I was a man the whole time. But I feel it. I'm just saying. So when I was little, my, my mom and dad bought me a Tonka truck. Anybody remember Tonka? Do they still make tacos? I don't even know. So anyway, this thing was built, man. I'm like, it was it was built out of Heavy metal, <laughs> probably lead, I'm sure. But I would I would push that thing all over the place. I would, you know, you grab it on the sides and you just go for it. And my dad, he dumped a little bit of dirt in, over in the side yard. So I'd literally have a place to, you know, load the, dump, the, the dirt in the dump truck and move it around the yard. So I literally moved one pile of dirt to another pile of, with, with a truck. This is basically, uh, you know, labor, child labor, but I don't want to talk about that. So, <laughs> so anyway, at some point, I, I literally ran the wheels off this truck, and, and that's bad enough, but then I lost one of the wheels, and I couldn't find it, probably buried under some of that dirt, and I was absolutely devastated. So I, you know, I brought it to my mom's attention, and my mom and dad were like, buddy, we'll, we'll, get, you a, we'll get you another truck. And what, what do you think my reaction was? I don't want another truck. I want that truck. I just want you to make it new like it was when I first got it right? And isn't that how we are in the world? It's like, I, I don't necessarily want a new relationship, right? I just want the one I have to not be broken. That would be super helpful, right? And so that's the picture of God making all things new. And so the question is, I mean, we recognize the world is all kinds of broken. We, 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 want, we want our politics not necessarily new politics, although sometimes new, right? But we want our government to not just be a new government. It's like, hey, it's it the way we started was really good. It seems like maybe we should just get back to that. Make that new. Make that, make that whatever it was, make it new again. That's what we're after. Relationships, you know, our communities, the systems. You hear all the time about how systems are corrupt and systems are broken. And systems are just they're just a big picture of, of who you are individually. So if the system's broken. It's because you are broken because you're a person in the system. If you're part of the government, in churches, we've seen this in the past. I was part of church leadership in the past that was very, very broken because we were still immature and still broken in so many ways. And so there's this passion, this longing for us that that we want. We don't want just to be surrounded by new things. We want to. We want the things that are already there to have new life. And that's the picture. That's really what God has promised us. Um, but before we explore that even more, we have to talk about the brokenness. Of the world, like I said, it's not just in the small things, not just in my in my heart, but it's but but when people get together in cities, I mean, you see this in corruption, you see it in, in government, all over the place. What what begins to happen is whatever is on the inside of you begins to come out. And Jesus made that statement. He said he said it's the inside. If you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will become clean also. But the religious people said, you know what. Uh, if you just do the right things on the outside, if you just curb your behavior, right, if you just do better, if you just act right, then everything will be right. But Jesus said that's not true because he said to the religious leaders, now imagine Jesus saying this to the pastors of the day, right, the religious leaders of the communities. He said, said, you guys are so sick that, that literally, he said, you're like serpents in a pit together, like writhing, waiting for someone to fall in so you can devour them. What a horrible thing to say at a pastor's conference, right You probably won 't get a return you know, visit from next year. It's like, "Why why is nobody at the pastor 's conference this year Jesus I don't know. It's probably something I said last year. I don't know right? But that's who he was because he recognized the sickness wasn't outside. it wasn't the system wasn't corrupt, and somehow, if we just work harder at the system, we'll fix it. No, you won't. You will not fix the system because the system is made up of people. And the people have brokenness on the inside of them. And the world doesn't have a vocabulary for this. We talked about this last week. As a matter of fact, they're stunned. The world is literally stunned that we can't get it right. Everything happened, you know, with, with, with COVID and all the stuff that happened after COVID, whether you were pro um, or, or con, it doesn't make any difference. I don't care about your version of it. What, what I want you to see is look at what happened, the, you know, the division that came because of the systems and the corruption, and you know, it's science and it's not science, and follow the science. Don't it's none of those things. Because it turns out science is only as effective as the scientist. And scientists are human beings with broken hearts, right? Really big brains. And I love that. I'm very thankful for big brains. But a big brain with a broken heart just breaks things harder, don't they? And that's kind of the picture of what, we, what we've fallen into. So really the question is, can God actually make all things new? Can he make things new? Can he fix what's broken in our world? So Paul was one of the early church planners. You see him all throughout the book of Acts. He wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, he's a pretty prolific guy. And he describes the witnesses of the resurrection. He talks about Jesus wasn't just seen by the 12, but at some point he he was seen by over 500 people. And he's talking about this, and he says, when people saw Jesus had come alive, there was something really interesting that happened. When Jesus came alive, there were were literally hundreds of people who came alive in that time. Now, Now think about that. You're talking about zombies walking the earth, right? (laughs) <laughs> only something had happened to some of these people, just like, just like when Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, can you imagine? Jesus says before the resurrection, he speaks to Lazarus and he says his name, Lazarus come forth. And the, and the, the understanding was, was Jesus' word was so powerful that if he had not said, Lazarus come forth, every single person who had ever died would have come out of their graves. Now one day, that's going to happen, right? Because he's not going to be specific. He's not going to call names. He's just going to go, everybody, everybody, it's time to get up. And that's a powerful thing. We see that in Scripture. So Paul argues that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he truly died. He didn't just faint. He, the disciples didn't just, you know, hide his body and tell everybody he had. I mean, they were literally willing to die for a lie. Whether they knew it was a lie or not, they were willing to die for it. So there's, when I went and looked at the resurrection, the thing that challenged me the most was people will say, well, you can't really know. But you can really know. It's not like you can, you know, they're like, oh, well, scientific evidence is, look, scientific evidence is you have to recreate the fact, right? You build a theory, you test it, and you you recreate it until you can say, yep, this actually happened. But there's something called historical evidence. How many of you guys know Abraham Lincoln lived? Most of you, right? How do you know? Can you see him? Well, you can in the movies, but, (laughs) and the answer is no, but you know, through historical evidence that that happened, uh, Karen, Karen and I have been cleaning out our garage we came across some old paperwork. And one of them was a pay stub when I was in the air force as an E3. And I was like, wow, we lived on that. That's, that was a miracle in itself right there. (laughs) But it's interesting because I don't, you know, we came across so many memories that these, these historical records, if someone says, Dave, were you in the air force? And, and I could say, sure, I was. Maybe may I was. And the other thing, she came across our, our marriage license. So we are actually married, which is a good thing, as a pastor and his wife, right? But we can show you the evidence. We can show you a historical record, evidence of something happening. And there was historical evidence. There is historical evidence for the resurrection. It's a powerful, go, go read the case for Christ. I mean, some of the greatest um, skeptics in all of the world have been fully convinced of who Jesus was in his resurrection from the dead and that he was, God on earth, that, that he rose again. They have been fully convinced because there's evidence, there is enough evidence for you to make a conscious decision about whether it's true or not. And so Paul was saying, these people lived, he said some of them have died, but, but uh, most of them are still alive and you can go talk to them. It was fascinating, Lazarus, when Lazarus, you know, right before Jesus comes in on Good Friday, <clears throat> he's in Bethany, right before he goes in, which is just a, a small town just outside of Jerusalem, and the Pharisees and people were coming to see Jesus, and there's this little interesting phrase, I, let, I read it a couple weeks ago, there's this little interesting phrase where it says, Lazarus, um, uh, that people were coming to see Jesus, and to hear about him, and what was going on with him, because they thought he was a prophet, there was a bunch of things going on, and oh yeah, Lazarus had come back from the dead, and they wanted to see that too. It's literally like a... Like, like a, a sideshow. They're like, I, I, is that really true? Right? So they're asking people, and they're talking about, it, and this is what was happening with Jesus. So the fact that death itself, and this is what Jesus was, what Paul was talking about with the resurrection, death itself has been defeated. The greatest enemy that we all face, I, I ran the numbers. I'm, I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty good at it. Statistically, 10 out of 10 of you guys were, are going to die. You're like, that's such good news, Dave. Thanks for sharing that on, on Sunday morning. <laughs> now, nobody thinks about that, right? Nobody wants to think about dying. But it's, you, I mean, somewhere in your brain, you're like, not me, you know, especially if you're young. You're like, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to live forever. But somewhere deep in your intellect, you're like, no, probably, I don't want to think about it, but it's going to happen, right? And it's the, And it's really, that's one of the greatest fears that mankind has. Every tyrant who's ever lived, who, who took his authority and did evil with it, did it at the fear of death. Not just take, listen, you can take all kinds of things away from me, right? You, you can drive the economy into the ground. You can do all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's going to get me to submit is my fear of death. And not many things can overcome that. At some point, patriots rise up and they're going to like, don't care. I'd rather die than live in this kind of, you know, um, this kind of society. But the point is, fear is something that's common to us all. Let me read you a passage. This is 1 first, first Corinthians 15, 51 where he's talking to Corinth, uh, this church in Corinth about Jesus coming back alive again. Now, this scripture, when I read this, every one of you guys have heard it, because if you've ever been to a funeral, these are the passages we read, right, as pastors. Because it's, we're in that moment, and we take advantage of that, and we talk about what everybody's sensing and feeling but nobody wants to talk about. What's interesting about this, Paul was not writing to someone at a funeral. There had been people who had died in their church, and they were curious about this. They're like, so what's all this look like? We need some instruction. What did Jesus talk about? So this, this is what he said in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. So <clears throat> Paul was great about that, of uncovering the mysteries from the past through what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection. He says, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep. That's a code word for not, we're not all going to die. But we will all be changed. What he's saying is that there's going to come a point in history where the people who are alive, Christians who are alive, in the day when Jesus comes, right and when he comes back, that we're going to be lifted up, somehow or another, those who are alive are not going to experience physical death. They're going to be transformed. Those who have been dead, regardless how they, how they died, whether they were blown up, thrown into the sea and fish ate them, doesn't matter. Literally, the Bible says they're going to be reconstituted with a different kind and a new body. So let me read it. He says, "Well, not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound; the dead will be raised imperishable." Now, think about that for a second. He's saying whatever whatever destroyed before the decay, the eventual you know getting old and dying, even or accident or whatever, all of that when that body is raised again. It is never going to die. It, we know, we, there's something, one reason why we're so challenged with death is we know we're supposed to live forever. The body literally reconstitutes itself on a regular basis. It's just that when it does it, ever so slightly, the cells are mutated and they eventually, it eventually causes our death. But scientists, doctors, and we have some of those guys in here, really, really smart people, recognize it's true recognize it shouldn't be true, but can't tell you why. They can explain the process, but they can't tell you why life decays. But we all, we all know that it does. He goes on, he says, uh, The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. He's saying this has to happen because of what God is, is doing in the kingdom. And the mortal with immortality, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. So he's talking about, hey, there's a prophetic word. It's going to come true. This is what Jesus began in the resurrection. He says, when the perishable, I won't read that again. He says, where, O death, is your victory? So death is the last battle. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So Jesus is, it, Paul's writing, he's saying, when Jesus, what because of what Jesus did by being raised from the dead, there's a promise to you as well. What happened to Jesus, he called it the first fruits. That was a that was a term about agriculture. Is Part of the tithe of Israel was, when they got their first crop, they would take the first part of the crop and they would offer it back to the Lord as a sacrifice and they would say, this part that I'm giving back is recognition that you are the one who made it in the first place, right? And so this is a picture of that. But maybe it's helpful um, to understand, if, if we want to understand what our hope is in Christ, is maybe to understand a little bit of what it's not. It's always helpful. So Christian hope is not compensation. We're not waiting for God to make it up to us by giving us mansions or streets of gold, although that's going to be there, right, in heaven, God is not going to just reward us for our troubles. God is going to transform our very bodies to bodies that cannot perish or die. You will live forever somewhere. It's important to know that. Christian hope is not explanation. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians that one day God will explain everything. It's true now, it's true that now we know the Bible says now we know in part, but one day we'll know in fullness. In other words, we're going to understand all things, right? But that's not where their hope was. Our hope is grounded in the belief that one day everything is going to be made new. You see this throughout the Christian the early church. Christian hope is not evacuation. Rescue me, Lord, right? From this tragedy we call life, right? You see that all over the place. We forget this isn't true because the way we talk about heaven oftentimes is, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. What we're really saying is I can't wait to let go of all this, all these problems and these challenges, and I'm going to leave the world in the shape that it's in, and I'm going to go be, where, be somewhere better. It's kind of like when you go on vacation and everybody's like, oh, man, you're going on vacation. That's going to be so nice. And you're like, yeah, you wish you were me. <laughs> right? and then you send pictures back to your office and it's, you know, it's your feet in the sand or the, I do that all the time, right? When I go on vacation, I'm like, look at me and you are working like a sucker. You're right. <laughs> There's some enjoyment in our relaxing while other people can't. And in some ways we've made heaven like this. Christians are like, you know, we got to hope, but you, you suck. And we hope it works out for you, but we know it's not, right? <laughs> but it's not evacuation. Heaven isn't just a place. It's a restoration to a person. It's restoration to our father. It's the redemption. The Bible says the redemption of all things. The purchasing back of all the things that were stolen or taken away. All things are going to be made new. Listen to this. He wrote again in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. He says then the end will come. Right? He's talking about Jesus and his death and resurrection. When he hands over the kingdom to God he's talking about Jesus. Then the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion authority and power. In other words, all dominion authority and power that has not been submitted to him, he will crush it. That's what the Bible says. Nobody gets away with anything. So if you think there's injustice in the world, there is, but it's not finished yet. I promise you justice will come, ultimately. He goes on, he says, for he must reign, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And that's part of what the church gets to do. Not through political maneuvering or violence or any of those things, that's not how the church operates. Jesus even said, I read it last week, he said, if my, if my people were drawn to violence or going to fight for this world, if my kingdom were this world, my people would fight. Remember, Peter cuts off the ear of the guy, one of the people who are coming to take Jesus away, and Jesus heals him, puts his ear back on his head and tells Peter, don't do that. You, you've missed the point. What's happening is, is not the enemy taking me, it's me giving myself as a sacrifice for sin and you're getting in the way of it, right? So violence wasn't the problem. Violence in the name of Jesus was the problem, right? Because later on, he talks about selling your cloak and buying a sword and as they travel. So he says, it's not a problem to defend yourself and others. The sword isn't the issue. The motivation behind the sword is the issue. We find that to be true. So the last enemy, he says, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be, to, to be destroyed is death. So with Jesus dying, And being placed in burial in that tomb and then rising from the dead. The Father rose him from the dead, the Bible says. When that happened, he was the first fruits of resurrection. The promise is that if he did that in Jesus and you are in Christ, then you get resurrected too. That's the beauty of it. John writes about this in Revelation. This is a little bit lengthy, but listen to this. This is really powerful. John said, then I saw a new heaven. He's having this vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A lot of symbology here. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The promise is that one day, we're not just going to go to a place. We're not just going to leave all the brokenness behind. One day, when all of in, all the enemies are submitted to Jesus, all of them, including death, finally it's all done. When that happens, the Bible says that Jesus will come, that God will come, and he will live among his people in the same way in the book of Genesis, the Bible says where God would come with Adam and Eve and walk in the cool of the day with them. He would be with them. He was intimately connected and in relationship with the people that he had created. There was no sin to separate them. And this is what this picture is being painted. That one day, what God started in the beginning, that we would be carriers of his glory. That we would be representatives of God in the earth. That one day, all this brokenness that you see will be submitted to Jesus. And finally, all evil, everything will be eradicated. Anything that's not submitted to Jesus will be eradicated. He goes on. He said, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. From time to time, um, again, yesterday, going through a lot of memories, um, I thought about my mom. My, my mom died. I'm, I'm 56. My, my mom died when I was like 26. So it's been a really long time. Um, but Mother's Day's coming up. And not every time, but sometimes on Mother's Day, it just hits me of the time that the enemy of death stole from my mom and me. I just think about it. It's a long, long time. All the times that I would love to laugh with her, and my mom was tough. Man, she was, she was, little, she was a little thing, blonde hair, blue eyes, if you can imagine. But she was tough as nails. I, I imagine, you know, all the good times we would have had and all the times I would have headbutted her and probably broke my head on her, right? But she would have loved me deeply, and she probably would have challenged me more, because she always did challenge me more than anybody outside of maybe my wife. And I, I look at that and go, the enemy of death stole that from me. But one day, and you know, sometimes I tear up. But one day, Jesus said, all those tears, all this stuff, it's gonna, all the time that the enemy has stolen, I'm going to give it back to you in spades. It's coming. He says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am doing it. Remember when they asked Jesus about who God was? Jesus says, I am. God says, I am that I am. I am the self-existing one. Nobody made me, but I made you. <laughs> right? This is the God that we serve. We are the sheep of his pasture, the Bible said. We, we did not make ourselves. We are not our own. We were created, in the New Testament it says, we were purchased with a price. It's what Scripture is saying. I am the personhood of God. Because he is, he's making all things new. So Jesus is going to swallow up death and victory. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make the heaven and the earth new. And God himself, the Bible says, will come and dwell with us. So it's not about us getting out of here. It's not an evacuation, right? Our hope is about God coming here and restoring and remaking the world and then filling it with his presence. That's why I challenge people, if you have a hard time in worship, what do you think heaven is, right? Heaven is not a place. Heaven is not somewhere where you're going to go and live in a you know, gold-streeted suburb with really a nice house, although you will, right? Heaven is heaven because God is there and there's nothing in the way of him, in his presence. And so if you don't learn to worship now, man, you are going to be in big trouble on your first day in heaven. <laughs> right? So maybe learn how to do that here. So what is Christian hope? Christian hope is new creation. God will do with creation what he did for Jesus on Easter Sunday. He will not resuscitate it, but he will resurrect this whole creation. He will raise it up in new life. Can you imagine the resurrection of the entire universe? Scientists tell us that the universe is in constant decay, right? It's, It's going from good to bad. (laughs) <laughs> and the Bible says that one day, God's going to roll that thing up like a garment, and he's going to make it brand new. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. What's really interesting, John talks about in his gospel, he notes that this happened, Jesus' resurrection happened on the first day of the week. Here's what's really interesting. When he said that, for the Jews, Sunday was not the first day of the week. I'll bet for many of us, Sunday is not the first day of the week. We think of the first day of the week as Monday, Right? And, and what's really interesting, Jesus talks about rest. There's so, many, so much symbology in this is what's fascinating. The Bible says that when, because of what, Jesus, what happened with Jesus' resurrection coming on the first day of the week, that it was a picture of the new resurrections happening to every person and to creation. And it was a new beginning. And so they literally started counting time differently on the day that Jesus was resurrected. And they started worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning. Well, maybe not morning, but on Sundays right? So why do you come to church on Sunday? Turns out there's a reason why Sunday is when we have our meeting. It's when the church meets. This isn't church. This is just a building. You are the church if you're a believer in Christ. And we come together and we meet and we walk in this newness of life and we're constantly being renewed day by day, the Bible says. So here's the thing. This resurrection, if you don't know Christ, this resurrection that we've been talking about This resurrection can be your resurrection today. Today can be the first day of a new creation for you. Today can be the day that God starts putting things back together. Here's what happens. It's so easy to look out there and see all that's wrong with the world, right? We look at evil and sin as great powers that hold the world in bondage, and we forget that that same power of sin sometimes holds us in bondage. Remember I said the systems are corrupt. Many of the systems are corrupt. Why? Because the people in them are corrupt. But what would happen if new creations began to walk in those new systems? Right? What would it look like if a person with a new heart came into power? We talk about this when we do our our, our new membership about us class. We talk about our church government, and and we remind people that as leaders, God has given us authority because he's also given us responsibility. We can screw it up. We can do it wrong. People have been hurt by leaders in church. People have been hurt by every person who's been in authority since since the fall in, in the garden. Why? Because God will give us authority, and we're supposed to take responsibility, and often we just want authority, right? We don't want the responsibility of what that authority is for. And I've said this numerous times. Paul writes this over and over to the leaders of the church, to any leader in any role, whether it's you leading your family as a husband, whether parents leading their kids, whether we're leading in community or leading a business. And Paul said, he wrote to the church, and he says, I've been given authority to never tear you down, but to only bring you up, only encourage you, only lift you up. So he says some challenging things that might hurt our feelings which is unpopular nowadays for some reason. But in the hurting our feelings, what he does is he challenges us to walk in the newness of life that God has promised us as believers, right? So we've been given authority because we've been given responsibility. The thing is, the same sin that's infected the systems oftentimes has infected us. But praise be to God, there is a cure. And the cure for sin is Jesus buried and resurrected, not just Jesus living and doing Jesus things back in the, in the old days, right? Not just being buried. Not being, just dying on a cross. All those things are wonderful. But if the resurrection didn't occur, none of the other stuff matters. And so that same resurrection that brought Jesus to life is the same resurrection that he wants to place in you and make you a brand new you. Let me read this passage, and I'm going to pray in just a second. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul's writing as if to drive it home personally to the Corinthian church. They've so been talking about death. He talked about a bunch of things, but some of the concern was people dying. And what does that mean? Where's our hope? You know, if we're all going to die, where's our hope? And he talks about that, and he says, Jesus, his he, his victory over death has now become victory. And that now, death has no sting for you as a believer. It's an interesting phrase, and I preach this often in, in, in Christian, uh, especially in Christian funerals, when people... We know for sure this person lived a life as a believer. Their, the fruit of their tree was Christian. Let me put it that way, right? And and again, you can you can do all things right on the outside and never be changed on the inside, right? And it's not about how much time. I remember Jesus is dying on the cross, and there are two enemies, two thieves dying next to him, and one of them is cursing. He's joining in the curses of the people and, you know, accusing Jesus. The whole time Jesus is dying for that man's sin as he accuses him and curses him. And we see this on the internet all the time, people making fun of religion and making fun of church and making fun of Jesus. The whole time Jesus has paid that price for them. And then this other this other thief on the other side of Jesus, all he says is so simple. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He got it. This guy had Probably never been to He grown up as a Jew. So he knew religion. He understood about God. So he had a, a head start on most of us. But he looked at Jesus and he says, I get it. I know who you are. And he goes, This, what's about to happen to you, is not the end. And if it's not the end for you, then maybe it's also not the end for me. And so he looks at Jesus and said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into to your kingdom? Jesus said, Today. You're going to meet, be with me in paradise. At some point, there's scripture teaches this that when we die, there's a place we go. We can call it heaven. We can call it whatever you want to call it. But something happens where the Bible says at the the second, the moment, the 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 you know the exact time that your life leaves this physical body, the Bible says that you are instantly present with the Lord. So there is no decay. There is no death. This physical body, it decays. But you as a person, who you are, when you die, the Bible says, instantly you are in the presence of God. And then one day, and we don't know when, but one day the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to say, he's been asking, Father, when's it time for me to go get my bride? Because we as the body of Christ, are called the, we're called the bride. He says, when is it time? And when the father says it's time, he's coming not on a donkey. He's not riding in on a donkey anymore. He's not coming in mildly. He's not coming in easy. He's coming in on on a horse that flies from heaven. (laughs) Okay? And when he comes, he's got a sword in his hand and there's blood on it. And when he comes, he's coming with vengeance. And every enemy that's ever stood against God will be destroyed. There will be no more mercy then because mercy has been given now. Everybody gets the same amount of mercy. You get enough mercy to make a decision about who Jesus is and what he's done. You have to make that decision. If you say, I've made no decision, that is a decision in itself. So it's, you can't be neutral. You can't be like Congress and go, I'm just going to vote here. You don't get to do that as a human being, right? You have to choose. You have to pick sides. And it's simple. It's not, it's not very difficult to become a new creation. It's believing something has happened. We talked about this this morning in this our about, about Us class. What does it mean to receive grace? Jesus says, I made the offer because of what I did on the cross. I paid a price you could never pay. Remember sin because of one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. He became the agent that introduced sin and eventually death and decay into all of our lives. The brokenness that we all see came in the beginning when someone disobeyed God. And some of us would go like, you know, if I was there, I would. it's like the young people with communism. It's like, you know, if we did communism right, right? What arrogance to say something that's stupid. In the same way to say, you know, if I was Adam, I probably wouldn't have done that. I would have said to my wife, you put that fruit back on the tree. Sure you would have, right? (laughs) But here's the point. Because that one man, in his disobedience, he became the agent for all humanity, for sin to enter in, and because of sin, death. But Jesus comes in a garden, you see him in the New Testament, he comes in a garden before the resurrection, and he prays until drops of blood literally fall from his skin, right? And he cries out. And in a garden where, where, where all sin had come in and, and holiness and righteousness had been lost, Jesus puts away, is about to put away sin and takes on holiness and righteousness. He chooses to go to the cross. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless... Your will be done. That's what Adam didn't say. That's what you and I never said. Lord, I want to do your will. Not one of us ever did, but Jesus did. And then he goes and he pays that price on the cross. And at some point on that day, the Bible says darkness covered the the sky. And when that happened, he cries out, it is finished. And then Jesus gave up his life. He gave it away. He said, no man takes my life. Nobody can do that. I give it away. And he gave it away for you. On that cross, that day, that that man hanging next to Jesus saw all this happening. When Jesus said, it is finished, he understood that all of my sin now has been paid for. And the Bible says three days he went into, like Jonah, went into the fish, went into the depths. And then on the third day, he was resurrected. And when he came alive, everything became new. The opportunity now for you to become new is just like that that sinner on the cross next to Jesus never went to a Bible study, never attended a Sunday morning service because they hadn't had them yet. (laughs) He never read the Bible from that day forward. He never did anything, anything. There was literally no merit on his life whatsoever. The one thing he did was he believed in what Jesus had said and he believed in what Jesus had had done. So think of it this way. We call it the gospel, the good news. It's news. It's not advice. Here's the difference. If you go into the bank and and the banker says, you know what, if you pay a little bit extra uh, towards your principal, you will pay your your loan off way, way early. You're going to save all this money. And you're like, man, that is such good advice. I think I should do that. Now, do you do it every month? Maybe, maybe not. But if you go into that bank and that guy says, hey, some amazing good news. Your long lost father that you didn't even know came in. He turns out he's incredibly rich and he just paid off your entire mortgage. You don't know. As a matter of fact, not only did he pay off your mortgage, he put all this money in the bank and it's available for you. You just have to sign up and, and, and be his son. You just have to agree to be his son. That's all you have to do, right? It's been done for you. All that's been done for you. Now, here's the thing. That's news. There's only one thing you can do with news. Really, two things. You can believe it or not believe it. There's no advice in the picture. And what Jesus did on the cross was good news. And what we proclaim and what we preach is good news. And what's the good news? That someone came and paid off all of your sin. We talked about this morning. There is now no wrath left for you. Jesus took all of the wrath of all the sin for all of time, past, present, and future, upon himself. And he satisfied the wrath of God. So if you think God's wrath is still available for you, you can continue to pay that payment. You can try to pay it yourself, and, and, and there will be hell to pay if you try to do that, literally. Or you can take the gift, the good news, of what Jesus did on your behalf, and you can receive it. So here's that passage, first, or 2 Corinthians 5. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's a really small word with really, really big implications. Are you in Christ? Have you trusted Christ for your salvation? Have you said, Lord, I cannot atone for my own sin. I recognize I cannot do the right thing. Have you said, but Lord, I receive what you have done for me on the cross. I receive it. I lay down my life. And just like Jesus in the garden, Lord, not my will anymore but yours be done. I am submitted back to you. I'm coming back into relationship with my Heavenly Father. You can do that, or you can be angry with Him. You can scream at the sky, and I've done that. I've cried out against God. God, why would you do this? Why would you do that? I never really wanted an answer. I just wanted things my way. But now that I've become a believer, many of the answers, like Paul said, I write a mystery to you that I'm going to explain. He's done that for me, and He wants to do that for you. He says, If anyone is in Christ, he is, not will become, he is a new creation. And listen to this, the old things have passed away, behold. In other words, take a look, be surprised, look at what's going on, behold, all things have become new. So what does that mean to you? Simply this, you can keep living in the old way of life and death is coming for you. Death is coming for us all, we know this. But death for a believer has no sting. I said this before, that when I preach funerals, I often say, Paul talks about this, he said that we as believers, we don't grieve the same way of those who have no hope. So this morning, do you have hope? Have you placed your hope in your government? Good luck with that. Good, bad, or indifferent? Good, just look at history. Have you placed your your. Hope in technology and science, good luck with that, right? You place your hope in your fellow man, dear God, good luck with that. If you placed your, your hope in yourself, you know better. You know better. So this morning the question is, where will you place your hope? Will you place your hope in, I hope I get it right. I hope I do enough good. I hope I do the right thing. I hope, I hope, I hope. Or will you say, Lord, thank you. That you have created hope for me because the hope isn't in anything that I could do. I could never do enough. But you have done it all for me and you have presented it to me now as a gift. And you're saying to me, God, you're saying to me, son, I've made a way available, but you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with my son. Will you believe and receive him? And because of that, now you're in Christ and you have become a new creation. And then transformation, the Bible says, comes through the renewing of your mind, learning God's way instead of yours, and watching your life begin to be transformed and everything change. I have people who who pass away, and I imagine if I stay at this church long enough, um, I'm going to see a lot of funerals. And at some point, you're probably going to see mine if you hang around long enough, right? But you won't grieve if you're a believer. You won't grieve without hope. My friend Beth passed away not too long ago. And from time to time, I think about Her office was in the back, and I'll walk through the church, and I'll tear up because I love her so much. She was so much fun. She was amazing in a million different ways. She had her challenges just like I do, just like everybody does. And I'll tear up, but I don't grieve without hope. I just look up to heaven because, you know, she's not down there, whatever down there means. (laughs) That's hell, right? Up there is heaven. We've somehow figured that out. But it's not really true. It's dimensional stuff. But I'll just look up and go, Beth, it won't be long. And Beth's probably up there going, I didn't hear what you said. I'm so busy worshiping Jesus. You'll be here soon enough, right? (laughs) That would be Beth. (laughs) But we don't grieve the way people grieve without hope. Do you have hope? If you've never accepted Christ, it's not difficult. There's not some, you know, class you have to take. My prayer when I gave my life to Jesus, I had been wrapped up in the martial arts I was, you know, I'd gotten really, really good at it. I'd owned my own school. I was making a ton of money. I joined the Air Force. I was traveling the world. I just got married. Everything was going great and falling apart all at the same time. And I gave my life to Christ. And this is what I said because I'd been involved in Eastern mysticism. I wasn't stupid enough to do drugs or alcohol. No offense to some of you drug using alcoholics. My my sin was worse because I looked down on people whose sin was obvious. (laughs) You you can tell. So, (laughs) But my prayer was simply this. I I prayed and I said, Lord, I've tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot. Now That's a horrible prayer. Don't pray that one. It's terrible. But God heard my heart. And what I was saying was, Lord, I cannot do it. I know that. I've tried it all. All I know is this man has preached this message. He's promised that you can. So, Lord, I'm just going to say yes. Whatever yes looks like. Lord, I'm going to say yes to you. Can I tell you something happened inside of me? And I was never the same. I remember walking. I was in the Alps. We were at a church conference in the in the, in the uh, uh, German Alps. and I remember walking outside, and the mountain peaks were there. And I've shared this story many times, and the trees. And, and for the first time, I saw creation doing what it was always doing, and I'd missed it. It was glorifying God. Little trees had their little arms lifted to heaven going, thank you for making me, right? The heavens, the peaks were pointed to God and saying, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen the one who made me? And for the first time, I recognized I was a new creation. And I've had some challenges. I believe some wrong things because I, again, put my trust in things that I should have never put my trust in. But I know this, that God has never failed me and he never will. So I'm going to pray. If you've never asked Christ in your heart and you want to pray this prayer or a prayer like it, you don't have to pray it verbatim with me. I'm going to pray it pretty quick, but pray something like this. And, and just say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. Do it in your own words, whatever. But give your life to Christ if you've never done that. And if you have been struggling as a believer, maybe you've believed some wrong things, believe some things about God that weren't true. Maybe today is your day of resurrection too. Maybe there's some new creation that's coming to you and new understanding of who God is, His grace and His love for you, His mercy, His kindness on your life. Maybe it's time for you to say, Lord, would you show me that as well? So let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? God, you love this world so much. Lord, you love this world so much. Not, the, not just the physical things. Lord, you created that too. But Lord, they're not eternal, but, but we are. So Lord, you loved us so much that you gave your only son for us. Jesus, you were willing to lay down your life for us that we would become your bride, that we would become intimately connected to you, that we would become sons and daughters again to our Heavenly Father with nothing in the way, no sin in the way. So, Jesus, I submit my life to you. I say yes. Lord, I want to be in Christ. I want to feel and sense and walk in this new resurrection life. Jesus, thank you for paying a price I could never pay. And, Lord, thank you that you want to be my friend. Not just be my God. That one day, Lord, your word says that you are going to come to this earth when everything is all done and this earth will be new new heavens, new earth, new bodies, physically transformed, Lord, no more death, no more decay. And in that place, Lord, you will make it like it was when you first made it and you will walk with us, you will dwell with us, you will be our God and we will be your people, we will be your sons and your daughters, and we will have a father that we can love and be loved by. And Jesus, we long for that hope, not in the future, Lord, but we long for it because we can taste it now, we can experience it now before those other things ever happen. So Jesus, I say yes. I say yes to you and what you did on the cross. And I lay my life down before you. And say, pick it up and lead me. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, Come up to the front. We'd love to pray for you again and just hear a little bit of your story. If you have any need uh, as a believer struggling with sickness or any of those things, emotional challenges, just whatever, relationship, we'd love to pray for you as well. So the front will be open. Our ministry team will be available to you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.